open your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 28. Then Jesus said unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man... Now, lifted up, that's, they were going to put Him on the cross, and Jesus knew that. He said, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of Myself, but as My Father hath taught Me, I speak these things. And He that sent Me is with Me. The Father hath not left Me alone. Now look at what he says here. For I do always those things that please him. That might be the, the verse in the Bible that best shows us the juxtaposition of Jesus Christ and us. The Bible says about us, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. But about Jesus Christ, his claim for himself is, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. And I hope there's someone that believes on him today. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Isn't that a good definition for discipleship? Someone that continues in his word. And we have a discipleship ministry here where if you'd like to know the word of God better and to be better prepared to know how to defend the word of God, we'll put, if you're a lady, we'll put a lady with you, a man, we'll put a man with you. And we'll teach you the Word of God. We have a discipleship ministry, trained people that are ready to teach you the Bible. And there's actually a card in the chair in front of you. Um, and if you'd like to, to participate in that, just get one of those cards, fill it out, and give it to us. Nothing like making announcements while I'm reading the text, right? So what happens when you have a preacher with ADD. So verse 31 again, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If ye continue in My Word, then are ye My disciples indeed. And then verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's read that verse out loud together. You ready? And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Grace Baptist Church. Lord, thank you for the the way that you've helped us to use the facility. Lord, thank you for those in the overflow who are willing to come to church in a different way. And Lord, I pray now as we open your word as we teach it, as we try to wrestle with some of these thoughts that are really affecting young people today and many young people. Lord, I pray that they'll see the truth about truth today from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. One of the things that's interesting about that to me is, do you know that that's the number one motto of every university in America? How about that? That's the number one motto of the universities in America. And when one attends a university, uh, he or she, they're, they're, they're to be guided into a quest to find unity in diversity. That's where the word university comes from. It's finding unity in diversity. And what diversity? Science, literature, art. All of these different disciplines are supposed to coalesce into an understanding of a unified understanding of truth. That's the purpose, or that was the purpose, of the original universities. It is interesting that people make statements that no thinking person could believe the Bible. How many of you have ever heard somebody say something like that? 
And that really is the position of most of the universities in America. But there was a time in America, probably up until about 1840, when, now listen, listen, listen to this, wake up in the overflow. Every, every, every president of every university in America was the pastor of a church. Now, that sounds crazy. Now, young people are saying, that's cray-cray. That can't be true. There was a time when the president of every university in America was the pastor of a church. So apparently, apparently, you can be seeking the truth and believe in God and believe in the Bible. Isn't that right? There are scientists today. There are scientists like Stephen Hawking who don't believe in God. And there are scientists like John Lennox who do believe in God. So apparently, education is not the issue. It's clearly not the issue. It's not an intellectual problem. It's a spiritual problem. Right? So, again, when one attends a university, he's supposed to be guided into the quest to find unity in diversity. Now, what's interesting is almost all the universities in America have abandoned that quest now. So, we really ought to change their name from university to pluriversity. Because they no longer teach a unity of thinking, they teach a plurality of thinking. And so the idea is, well, we have this truth here, and we have this truth here, and we have this truth here. But well, wait a minute. This truth contradicts this truth. Well, that's okay because that's true for you, but this is true for me. Right? Try that when you go to your bank. Right? I want to withdraw $100,000. Uh, Mr. Alter, you have $47.12 in your account. Well, that's true for you, but not true for me. How's that going to work? It's not. There's a little button underneath the <laughs> counter that they're going to push, and you're going to have the chance to live in a gated community. <laughs> it's interesting that as we now have these pluriversities, that institutions... They deem every viewpoint, no matter how ridiculous, just as valid as any other, except the viewpoint that just one religion or worldview could be true. Remember, what multiculturalism is, what, what this plurality of thinking is, is that all ideas are equally valid unless you believe there's one idea that is valid. And that idea is not valid. So then the statement that all ideas are valid or all viewpoints are valid, that's not a valid view. Because they're saying that not all ideas are valid because your idea is not valid, only their idea is valid. I think that's bigoted by their definition of bigotry. Very interesting. So what we have is the strong dominating, the, the, the majority on the faculty dominating and imposing their view on the minority. I thought we were against that in America. It's very interesting, isn't it? The greatest minority on campus is the Bible-believing professor. And in many cases, I just heard John Lennox say this. He's a professor of mathematics at Oxford University. And he said that he speaks with many people 
that do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they can't say it out loud because they would lose their jobs because somehow belief in Jesus Christ makes you unscientific. So what we need to discern, what we need to figure out is, is there truth that is knowable? So here's the idea. There are five questions, five questions that are the most consequential questions in life. And we've talked about these before. The first is the question of origins. Origins, where did I come from? Where did I come from? The second is identity. Who am I? Who am I? The third is meaning. Why are we here? The fourth is morality. How should we live? And the fifth is destiny. Where are we going? So let me repeat those for you. The first is origin. Where did we come from? Now, from the Christian viewpoint, God created the heavens and the earth. God created Adam and Eve, and all of us are descendants of Adam and Eve. That's, that's where we came from. The second question is identity. Who are we? Well, we are either a child of God or a child of Satan. We, we are either a child of God or we're not a child of God. The Bible says there's two kinds of people. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So you either have the Son of God and you have eternal life, or you don't have the Son of God and you don't have eternal life. Right? So you are either, you are either saved or lost. That's your identity. Saved or lost. You are, you are either in Christ or you're not. Identity. Meaning. Meaning, why are we here? We are here to bring glory to God. That's the Christian worldview. We, we are here. I, there, there is a purpose. There's an ultimate purpose in my life. God gave me the ability to speak. It may not make sense, but he gave me the ability to stand up. I'm never nervous standing up and talking in front of people. How many of you honestly would rather take a beating than stand up and talk in front of somebody? Right? Look around you. So this is why you're not a pastor. All right? I remember I had a, a speech class when I was in college. And big class, two or 300 people in the class. And this, I walked into the class and this girl said to me, well, you're ready to give your speech? And being the horrible student that I was at that point in my life, I said, what speech? And she said, you have a speech due today. You've got to have an outline and, and illustrations and points for, the, for your outline. About that time, the teacher came in. My last name starts with A. She said, Mr. Alter, come give your speech. So I walked up there and I made something up, wrote an outline on the board, gave illustrations and sat down. And the girl next to me said, I hate you. <laughs> That's... <laughs> now, if it was a math test, it would be completely the opposite. I couldn't do it. In, I'm just incapable. So God gifts us. He gives us the ability. And so now I have a purpose in life. And my purpose is to use speaking ability to bring him glory. Now, here's the danger. Here's the danger. And we all know this. Whatever you're good at, you tend to rely on your talent when you're supposed to rely on God for that. So imagine if every Sunday I just got up here and said whatever was on my mind. Can you imagine... <laughs> Can you just imagine how bad that would be? <laughs> yeah. Now, listen, all of us, God has gifted us in a certain way. And God has given you the ability to do that. It's interesting. God has given Dr. Re ability. And I was thinking about it while Olivia was playing. You've not played the saw for us in a long time. We need you to... To play the saw for us. He has that ability. He needs to use it for the Lord. Don't you think Dr. E needs to use that ability for the Lord? I do too. We all have abilities. And those abilities guide our purpose. It's very interesting. Look at the book of Philippians, chapter 2.
Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. For it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. What does that mean? That means that God gives you the desire and the ability to do what pleases Him. So if a person has musical ability, that musical ability is not to be used to bring glory to that person. That musical ability is to be used to bring glory to God. If you have the ability to build buildings, that ability is to, to be used to bring glory to God. If God. Whatever the ability is that God has given you, it is to be used for His glory. Art, music, literature, science, medicine... All of these different fields can all be used to bring great glory to the God who deserves that glory. Meaning, why are we here? Then morality is the fourth. Morality, morality. And that says, how should we live? How should we live? And you've heard what Ravi Zacharias said. In one culture, they say, love your neighbor. In another culture, they say, eat your neighbor. Right? You heard about the uh, cannibal that ate the missionary? He got a taste of religion. (laughs) Yeah, I said it. (laughs) So how do we know which one is right and which one is wrong? Morality. Where does morality come from? There there is contractualism. One of the theories that comes from atheism is contractualism and that our morality is based on contracts that people make with each other. And we know that, you know, ultimately some of that led into socialism and communism through Rousseau's social contract and all of those things. But contractualism, contractualism is the idea that Doug and I agree. I won't kill him, he won't kill me. Contractualism. But what if we as a society, as a society determine that everyone with dark hair is inferior? And we just make a contract. Isaiah, you got to go. People with dark hair. So we have a contract that if, for society's benefit, because light-haired people are better than dark-haired people, we have to decide that we agree that we're going to eliminate all the dark-haired people. Well, we've established a, memor- a morality based on a contract between people who have a common set of beliefs and goals. Who are you to say that that's wrong? So we have Kool-Aid set up for all of you folks downstairs after the service. That's crazy, isn't it? So why would it be wrong to do that? Now, we know that that's happened in history, hasn't it? In Africa, in in Rwanda, they they were just, it was complete genocide, destroying people that were not like the other people. Nazi Germany, many places, you've seen this, in Cambodia after the, the end of the Vietnam War. What did Pol Pot do? Man, if you had glasses on, you're intelligent, we got to kill you. Who is to say that that's wrong? They had a society, they had a societal contract that they had established. Who is to say that that is morally wrong? Well, if there's a God who is outside of this world, created the world, created the laws of the universe, and created the laws of morality, if there is moral law, then there must be a moral lawgiver, and that moral lawgiver has said, thou shalt not kill. There is a moral code and a moral law. 
In our society, if someone brought a baby up here, and we went down to the nursery and grabbed a baby and brought it up here, and I started torturing that baby in front of you, you all would stop me. Would you, would you agree with that? Would you stop me from doing that? And yet, some in our culture think that it's fine to do that to a baby as long as it's inside the mother's womb. It's very interesting. Who's to say that that... And, and here's the common argument. You need to stay out of my body. Right? Leave my body alone. I heard a guy say, I'm not interested in your pancreas. I'm interested in the life that you're carrying in your body. Right? So how do we know that that's wrong? What is the basis for our morality that there is a God who created life and said, thou shalt not kill? And who, are to, who, who should be the most protected in the society? Those who are incapable of protecting themselves. Well, where does that morality come from? Where does that come from? Is that a social contract? No, that comes from God. Ye that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. That's scriptural, isn't it? So we have a basis for our understanding. Morality, how should we live? Destiny, where are we going? Ultimately, if, if death is the end, then Hitler did just fine. If death is the end, then Idi Amin did just fine. If death is the end, then Joseph Stalin did just fine. If death is the end, then Osama bin Laden lived out his life just fine. But if there really is an eternity, then there is justice. We're all going to go somewhere. Where are we going? Destiny. Now, I've given you basically just some comments from a Christian worldview on those five questions. But there are three worldviews that attempt to answer these questions. There is the theist, theist. A theist is someone who believes in a personal God who created the universe, but is not part of the universe. Let me, let me say that again. Young people, listen to this. This is really going to help you. A theist, a Christian, or a person who believes in God would start there. A theist is someone who believes in a personal God who created the universe but is not part of the universe. Let me illustrate it for you. This is roughly equivalent to a painter and a painting. God is like the painter, and his creation is like the painting. God made the painting. His attributes are expressed in it, but God is not the painting. All right? So when I look out at that tree out there, that tree is not God. That tree is a tree, all right, that God created. So God made the painting. His attributes are expressed in it, but God is not the painting. And so the theistic religions like Christianity, Judaism, and even Islam would, would start from that viewpoint. Then there's the pantheist. The pantheist, pan, that's everywhere. God is in everything. All right? So the pantheist is someone who believes in an impersonal God that literally is the universe. And so this is kind of the Oprah Winfrey type thinking, you know, the, that Eastern religion. So let's go back to our painting illustration. So rather than making the painting... Pantheists believe, that God, pantheists believe that God is the painting. So as Christians, we believe that God created the earth. He, he painted, but He is not the painting. The pantheist believes that God is the painting, that, that God really is the universe. So in fact, pantheists believe that God is everything that exists. God is the grass. God is the sky. God is the tree. God's this piece of paper. God is you. God is me, etc. 
So Oprah Winfrey would get on her soul and say, I am Jesus Christ. She would make a statement like that. All right, that's a pantheistic Eastern understanding. By Eastern, I mean uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, religions like that. Then there's the atheist. The atheist is someone who does not believe in any type of God. And this is kind of funny. To follow the analogy, atheists believe that what looks like a painting has always existed and no one painted it. That, <laughs> that really is the view of the atheist. Now, of course, humanists and secularists would all fall into that. So the easy way to remember these three religious worldviews, theism, God made all. Pantheism, God is all. Atheism, no God at all. All right, let me say that again. Theism, God made all. Pantheism, God is all. Atheism, no God at all. So what is the truth? How can we know it? We have to have an external standard. I've heard this illustration for a long time that, that a pilot can fly into a cloud in his airplane. Aiden, he needs the airplane to fly. He can't, you know, do this. But he, this airplane pilot flies his plane into a cloud, and without his instruments, they can't know whether they're upside down or sideways or whatever. How many of you have ever heard that before? Well, I didn't. One person? None of you? How many of you have ever heard that before? You've heard that. Okay, good. How many of you don't take surveys? Raise your hand. You're just not going <laughs> to. <laughs> so here's, here's the idea. I called Eric. Where's, is, where's Eric? He might be in the overflow. Um, I called Eric Kindig. Oh, he's right there. And I said, Eric, is it true that sometimes that a pilot flies into clouds, he can get disoriented? And this is interesting. I didn't know this. I just asked him this yesterday. He said, every pilot always gets disoriented in that situation. That's interesting. How many of you did not know that? Would you raise your hands? See, I'm not alone. That was really interesting to me. It's really interesting to me. He said it takes 40 hours. You have to have 40 hours of training to learn to fly a plane. But then you have to have an additional 40 hours of training to learn to fly by the instruments. That's how important instrument flying is. Remember when JFK Jr. died, he died because he, he wasn't rated to fly instrument-type conditions. He flew into instrument-type conditions and he died. Why? Because all pilots, when they fly into the clouds, need an external reference that's outside of themselves. I asked Eric this question because, honestly, some of it doesn't make sense to me. Wouldn't you think you'd know if you were upside down? Wouldn't you know? And I asked why you don't. And they say, he said it's an inner ear thing. You get into it, you really, you could be literally flying upside down and not know it. And so I said, what do you do? And he said, you have to have an artificial horizon so that you can know what is true. And it's interesting. He said this about um, JFK Jr. If he had just hit the autopilot button, he would have been fine. What did he need? He needed a standard outside of himself. All of us need a standard outside of ourselves, and that standard is truth. Truth. And it's very interesting. We all demand truth from loved ones. Nobody wants to be lied to from a spouse or a child. Doctors. We want the right medicine prescribed and the right operations performed. It's interesting. Dr. Edwards told me that if he's doing surgery on a leg... They actually write on that leg with marker. They mark it so that you don't operate on the wrong leg. Um, it's interesting. Uh, 
the church that I went to in Indiana, they were going to tear down an old building. And the contractors came in to tear down the building and they tore down the wrong one. That happens all the time. And that's bad. It's worse to have the wrong leg operated on. Right? So what do they do? They mark the right leg. So that you know, we demand that from our doctors. Operate on the right leg. Well, that's true for you. It's not true for me. You wouldn't, you wouldn't accept that. Stockbrokers. Don't mess with my money. We demand that they tell us the truth about the companies they recommend. How about the courts? We want them to convict only the truly guilty. We also expect truth to be, the truth to be told from reference books, articles we read, news stories, advertisers, teachers, politicians, road signs, medicine bottles. Road signs are funny. I was driving back from, uh, we had gone to a family vacation at Long Beach Island, New Jersey. And so I had my sister Linda. She's seven or eight years younger than me. She would have just had her license not very long. And I'd been up all night fooling around, and so I let Linda drive. And so we're on 80. And I said, just stay on 80. Just, just drive. A little while later, she wakes me up, and I'd slept for quite a while. And she said, Jimmy, the highway ended. <laughs> so we're in California. <laughs> and I look up, and the sun's in my face, and he said, Linda, we're going the wrong direction. We're on a dirt road. <laughs> I got in the car. I had no idea. where. This is before GPS, folks. I had, so I have a map, but I don't know where I am. And so I'm driving, and I see this sign that says, Welcome to West Virginia. Okay, New Jersey to Ohio. I'm sorry, New Jersey to Indiana. Does not go through West Virginia. She had taken the wrong sign. She had gone the wrong way. Now imagine if the sign to Indiana pointed her to West Virginia. Wouldn't that make you mad? We expect the truth from road signs. Lots of places. Medicine bottles. Food labels. We demand the truth for almost every facet that affects our money, relationships, safety, or health. Would you all agree with that? We demand the truth. But despite our unwavering demands for truth in those areas, many of us say we aren't interested in truth when it comes to morality or religion. In fact, many downright reject the idea that any religion can be true. There's a huge contradiction here. There's a huge contradiction. Why do we demand truth in everything but morality and religion? Why would we do that? Why do we say that's true for you but not true for me when we're talking about morality or religion, but we would never even think of such nonsense when we're talking to a stockbroker about our money or a doctor about our health. Now, few people would admit it, but the reason that people think that way, behave that way, and act that way is because the rejection of religious and moral truth is on volitional grounds rather than intellectual grounds. What does that mean? We just don't want it to be true. There are people that don't want the Bible to be true because they want to live the way that they want to live. And they don't want anyone to tell them, don't tell me what time to go to bed, don't tell me when to turn off the lights, don't tell me whether or not uh, I, I should get married, don't tell me whether who I should have a, a, a sexual relationship with, don't tell me what property is mine or isn't mine, don't tell me those things, I want to make those decisions myself. So all of a sudden, 
We have removed that external standard of truth that we demand for every other area of our life, and then we become the standard of truth. It would be as if I walk into the medicine shop and I decide what medicines I need. Now, you may not know this. This is going to shock you. I know nothing about medicine. I could probably name, I'll bet you I could name 10 medicines. How many of you want me prescribing medicine for you? No, 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 no. But hey, hey, hey. I have the right to do that. No, I don't. They put me in jail for doing that. Why? Because we expect truth in those areas. It's very important. So, we blindly accept the self-defeating truth claims of politically correct intellectuals who tell us that truth does not exist. Everything is relative. There are no absolutes. It's all a matter of opinion. You ought not to judge. Religion is about faith, not facts. Those are the things that people say. So what is truth? What is truth? We all demand truth, but if we're going to demand truth in areas of science, in areas of morality and exchange, if we're going to demand truth there, we need to really understand what truth is. So what is truth? Ravi Zacharias says, truth is that which affirms propositionally the nature of reality as it is. So truth is a proposition that describes the nature of reality as it is. R.C. Sproul, Calvinist, who would not like us very much, but this is a good statement. He said, that which corresponds to reality as perceived by God because God's perception of reality is never distorted. That's a really good statement. Let me read it to you again. That which corresponds to reality as perceived by God because God's perception of reality is never distorted. Have you ever looked at someone and you're hanging a picture and you say, does that look straight to you? And it's so funny. When I'll, I'll ask Laura, does that look straight to you? Here's what she does. <laughs> and I'll use it. Never mind. <laughs> let, me, let me go get a level. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how some people can think something straight and it's nowhere near straight? What do you need? An external standard, a level, a ruler. You need some way to know that that is Correct. So it's that which corresponds to reality as perceived by God because God's perception of reality is never distorted. He always knows what the true line is. Frank Turek and Norm Geisler said, Truth is telling it like it is. I like that one. Truth is telling it like it is. Truth can also be defined as that which corresponds to its object or that which describes an actual state of affairs, something that is true. Now, if something is true, this is really important. Now, I know that this is a little bit more tedious than some other studies that we do, but I think it'll be helpful if you listen. If something is true, it's true for all people at all times in all places. All right? So if a doctor's doing surgery here, or if he's doing surgery in South Africa, or if he's doing surgery in Argentina, people's bodies are the same. The surgery, the, the things would be expected to be the same. Um, all truth claims, I love this one. All truth claims are absolute, narrow, and exclusive. All truth claims are absolute, narrow, and exclusive. Just think about this claim. Someone says everything is true. Everything is true. Well, that's a narrow and exclusive claim. It excludes its opposite. So what is the opposite? Everything is not true. So the claim that everything is true... By definition means 
that the statement, everything is not true, would be wrong. Does that make sense to you? How many of you don't care? Talking about truth. So, in fact, all truths exclude their opposites, even religious truths. Back to our airplane analogy, you're either flying right side up or you're flying upside down. They, they can't both be the right way to fly. Is that fair? Well, let me just ask you this. How many of you would rather fly right side up than upside down? You're a pilot. Okay. And it'd be fun to fly upside down if it was on purpose. Right? It really would be. All right. So, let's get some truths about truth. Truths about truth. First of all, truth is discovered. It's not invented. Truth is discovered. It's not invented. Gravity was discovered, not invented. Is that right? So, truth is discovered. It's not invented. It exists independent of anyone's knowledge of it. It just is true. But they didn't know for, for a while. They didn't know that draining blood from a person when they're sick is a bad idea. They didn't know that truth, but it was still true, right? Hey, Doc, I'm not feeling well. Here, let me suck a little out. I don't think that's what people are looking for. So truth is discovered. It's not invented. Then truth is transcultural. Well, that's true in your culture, but it's not true in my culture. If something is true, it's true for all peoples in all places at all times. In other words, two plus two equals four for everyone, everywhere, at every time. Regardless of the language barrier, the number two plus the number two equals the number four wherever you are. It's transcultural. Then, truth is unchanging even though our beliefs about truth change. Truth is unchanging even though our beliefs about truth change. When we began to believe the earth was round instead of flat, the truth about the earth didn't change, only our belief did. Does that make sense? Y'all follow me on that? That makes sense. Um, then, beliefs cannot change a fact no matter how sincerely they are held. I believe that I'm 6'4". I believe that. And you would say you're delusional. You need a new ruler, right? Because my belief can't change the fact. So whatever I believe about something has nothing to do with the reality of that subject. I'm either agreeing with reality or I'm disagreeing with reality, regardless of how sincere I am. I could just be sincerely mistaken. So beliefs cannot change a fact, no matter how sincerely they are held. And then, truth is not affected by the attitude of the one professing it. Truth is not affected by the attitude of the one professing it. If a person is arrogant, it doesn't matter because whatever they say is either true or it's not true. If you don't like the attitude of the person speaking, that says nothing about the truth. So, if you, for example, for example, if Luke Hickman makes a truth statement and Richard Dawkins, with all of his degrees, makes something that he claims to be a truth statement, who they are has nothing to do with whether or not it's true. His lack of postgraduate degrees because he's 16 years old has nothing to do with whether or not the statement is true. Is that right? So truth is not by, affected by the attitude or degrees of the one professing it. A humble person does not make error he professes true. Then, all truths are absolute truths. Even truths that appear to be relative are absolute. Let me give you an example. I, Jim Alter, feel warm on April 3rd 
at 11.25. And what some would say is, well, is that true every, for everyone? Is that, that seems like a relative truth because that's Jim, the way that Jim Alter feels. That may appear to be a relative truth, but it is actually absolutely true for everyone, everywhere, that Jim Alter had the sensation of warmth right now. Do you understand? You see, the, I, the concept of relative truths is false. All truth is absolutely true. And that's the way that we live in every area. So, in short, contrary beliefs are possible, but contrary truths are not possible. Hear what I said? Contrary beliefs are possible, but contrary truths are not possible. We can believe everything is true, but we cannot make everything true. So now, let's apply the truth to the claims about truth. There are absolutely no truths. What would you say to that? Is that absolutely true? There are no absolute truths. Are you absolutely true? Isn't that an absolute truth? How about this? All truth is relative. Is that a relative truth? Or is that an absolute truth statement? Here's another one. It's true for you, but it's not true for me. What should you say to that? Is that true for everybody? Is that true for everybody, or is it possible to know what is true? I like this one. You can't know the truth. Then how do you know that that's true? It's silly, isn't it? How many recognize those, those statements? They're just completely silly. They're self-defeating arguments. Uh, you should doubt everything. Should I doubt that? You should be skeptical, skeptical of everything. Well, then I should be skeptical of, skeptical of skepticism. And if I'm skeptical of skepticism, I'm back to believing in absolute truth. You see, they're self-defeating arguments. All truth comes from science. Is that a scientific truth? Can you scientifically prove that all truth comes from science? No, you can't do that. How about this one? I love this. I heard Dawkins say this. All talk about God is meaningless. Well, is that talk about God meaningless? Do you see how it's a completely illogical, self-defeating position to have? I think that's hilarious. How about this? All truth depends upon your perspective. Does that truth depend upon your perspective? You see, any truth claim must be applied to itself. And if it fails, then it can't be true. So what have we just proven? Truth exists. Truth exists. This one's fun. You're just playing word games with me. Is that just a word game you're playing with me? Or is there truth behind what you're saying? Or is there truth behind what I'm saying? You have to have an external standard. When you apply the truth statement to itself, if it collapses, then that statement cannot be true, which proves that truth exists. So now, let's finish it up with this. Go to John chapter 18. It's probably true that some of you are saying, I can't wait for this to be over. John 18, look at verse 33. Let's look at the one who is truth. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him. It's so interesting. Jesus always answers a question with a question. Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee 
of me. So what is Jesus doing? He's trying to find out, is this question coming from you? Do you really want this or are you asking for someone else? Did you get this information from someone else or do you really believe this? It's like when a skeptic comes to me and asks me a question. And it's so funny. I, I, this, this happened. This guy's asking me these questions and he's got them on his, on his cell phone. He's got them listed. But he's getting them all off of a website. They're not questions that he had. They're questions that some other skeptic had voiced that he thought were really good questions that were going to stump the preacher. And what's really fun in those situations is I would finish the question for him. And I'd say, look, you have to understand, everybody in the ministry, every thinking Christian has already answered these questions that you're asking. There are answers to these things. And that's why it's really good to find out when someone is questioning you about the truth of Christianity, is this a genuine, heartfelt question, or are you dealing with a skeptic that's trying to destroy your faith based on information he got from someone else, not from his own work? I love it when someone tries to show me a contradiction in the Bible that they get from some website. They sure, certainly didn't find it by reading Second Chronicles. Right? So Jesus does that with Pilate. Verse 34, Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? So he's the Roman procurator, and so he's asking the question of Jesus. Jesus answered, Remember the question, are you a king? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Now, he is coming back to establish his kingdom, but it wasn't then. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth, that every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Now that statement, I find in him no fault at all, that is a truth statement. It's interesting, isn't it? But when Pilate looked at Jesus and said, what is truth, and walked away, Pilate walked away from the greatest authority on the greatest question and committed the greatest crime that could have ever been committed. He asked, what is truth of the one who is truth? Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So in an intellectual way, Pilate says, what is truth? And then turned and walked away from the only one who could have ever given him the answer to that question. What about you? What about you? Jesus Christ is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Have you accepted that truth? Have you come to Him and submitted to Him as your Lord and Savior? Because the truth claims about Christianity can be proven to be true. Lord Jesus Christ, we're weak. And even when we think we're strong, we're not.